I want us to become brothers again like we used to be, and for us to find ourselves and bond with each other. Can we agree to that? Opinions vary. Welcome to Three Brothers Filmcast. I'm Anton, and I'm here with my brothers. Anders. And Aaron. My last name is the same as my brothers. And this month we're talking about Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi to celebrate the film's 40th anniversary. Okay, ramblers, let's get rambling. Return for the climactic clash between the forces of good and evil. Return to a galaxy far, far away. Return of the Jedi. What if I said Return of the Jedi was the first prequel? Long before I waded through the waves of bitterness and mockery generated by Episode 1, and then again with Episode 2, I remember, as a pre-adolescent listening to Gen X fans of Star Wars crack the expected jokes about Return of the Jedi. The Ewoks were stupid and childish. The drug-addled Carrie Fisher was phoning it in, and Lucas foolishly retread too much of the ground of the previous two episodes. If you don't believe me, I truly wish I could dig up an online copy of a review I read in an old yearbook discovered in boxes of the strange subterranean level beneath my high school. It's a long story. In that yearbook, from the year 1983, I remember reading a student review of Return of the Jedi, which described an experience not unlike what many people have told me about their experience of seeing The Phantom Menace for the first time. The reviewer described immediate disappointment during the opening title crawl, when he discovers that Lucas has gone back to the well with another Death Star. Think about all the taxation of trade route jokes for Phantom Menace. If I recall correctly, this reviewer seemed to have a good time overall, and described a raucous opening night, but he also seems to have thought something was missing. Is something missing from Return of the Jedi? Was Lucas already with the third movie, taking the first wayward steps in Star Wars? As much as I love The Empire Strikes Back, I would suggest that its long shadow actually obscures how many people view Star Wars. In fact, it's largely to blame for the common misconception that a good blockbuster sequel has to be a darker and more serious blockbuster sequel. Admittedly, that's not really what's going on with Empire. What if I said that Return of the Jedi is the necessary capstone that actually holds all six Lucas Skywalker Saga episodes together? What if I said that its final battle displays some of the most complex yet clear cross-cutting in a mainstream movie, along with other marvels of cinematic technique? What if I said that the Ewoks fit perfectly into what Star Wars is, and always has been, which is a cinematic fairy tale? So Aaron... Your affection for this film is well known among people who follow us. Anders, you adore Empire, the most of us. But is there anything about Return of the Jedi that you think is either unrecognized or underappreciated? Yeah, as a, you know, admitted person who lists Empire Strikes Back as my favorite Star Wars film, um, it's easy to take I think I think a lot of people take easy and cheap shots at Return of the Jedi, like the ones that you mentioned. But I I've never really understood that. Like I've always had an, a, a deep affection for Return of the Jedi. It's like ranking the Star Wars movies is like uh, being forced to you know <laughs> rank your your favorite children, you know in a in a way. Um, they're they're so foundational and meaningful for me. Um, you know uh, I think Return of the Jedi because it came, it was the only Star Wars film uh, when I was a child. That had come out after I was born. Admittedly, I was one years old when Return of the Jedi came out. I didn't, you know, see it in theaters or anything, but I encountered a lot of its, uh, you know, ephemera and, and uh, toys and things first among all the Star Wars films. I remember having a a Scout Trooper action figure when I was very young that someone had given me. Um, I think you I had, had some uh, like cards, uh, right? Yep, ta- uh, the Star Wars uh, trading cards, but from Tops the. Uh, you know, Return of the Jedi storybook, uh, gotten from the library many times, even before I think I had ever even seen the film. Its images and its its sort of mythic qualities of Return of the Jedi as the biggest and best Star Wars. That, you know, I think it's undeniable that of the originals, it's it's the biggest spectacle in many ways. I, and we can get to that later. But, you know, as much as I, I love Empire Strikes Back, and I still think tonally, atmospherically, in terms of certain performances and elements, it's still my favorite. Return of the Jedi is, as you said in the opening, I think it is the linchpin, the key to the entire series. It, it to me, it expresses, and this is something that's not always appreciated as much. And some, you know, I'll get to in a minute uh, how it lays bare some of the, the problems with other people's approach to Star Wars. 
um, Return of the Jedi is is maybe the both the emotional and, and moral core of Star Wars. I think, and I think it really all hinges around the final confrontation between Luke and Vader uh, in the Emperor's throne room. Yeah, uh, for sure. You know, even among the the cross cutting, like for me. Like the moment when Luke Skywalker throws down his sword and refuses to fight, and Darth Vader, there's you know, decides that he cannot watch his son. The 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 love of the son for the father, redeeming the father, leading to the the restitution of things, or at least the beginning of it, to me is so powerful and and so good, and builds on the promise and risk that lucas and uh you know his, his collaborators did with empire and paying that off in in such a strong way to me is underappreciated in return of the jedi right it, it really pays off those moments so would you say yeah so it's not only you're saying that not only is it sort of the, the capstone film or the the key um but also in particular that vader in Luke's confrontation in the Emperor's Throne Room. Yeah, I think that to me, the that center is, of the center. It's the center of all of it. Yeah. You know, and like literally, even the music, I, w- I just want to say that the music, when Vader tempts Luke and John Williams' music sort of swells to this vibrating, like people, I've never really understood what people, you know, the whole ASMR, <laughs> like people having like physical like reactions to bits of music or sounds and things like that but honestly it and and vader tempts luke and he comes out with his lightsaber and luke's anger and they fight it like literally sends shivers down my spine it's like one of the best moments in any movie and it does that consistently every time that that moment this time around so i watched the movie very recently this past weekend there's something about that music cue which i i has always really been powerful for me but it also recalls um a musical cue in It's a Wonderful Life. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about at all. It's This might just be totally bizarre and there might be no actual real connection. But it, to me, it reminds me of when uh, when George goes to the graveyard of his brother. Oh, yeah. And, it, and you have the, these angelic... And all of a sudden you get this like, choral... But it's dark, like, yeah. Are you sure this is Bailey Park? No, I'm not sure of anything anymore. All I know is this should be Bailey Park. But where are the houses? We went here to build them. Yeah, there's like this angelic music happening and it's dark. And it, that's like the emotional core of It's a Wonderful Life when you watch it. Aaron, so do you see, do you agree with us in terms of its um, like capstone quality that, that it's sort of the center in this way? Absolutely. I, I actually think that if you do not like Return of the Jedi or if you don't think Return of the Jedi is on par with the other two in the original trilogy, I'm not saying you have to think it's the best, but if it has to be at least considered on par with the other two, if you don't think that, I don't think you actually get Star Wars, like George Lucas's conception of Star Wars. So if you're seeing it's a step down, like yes, it's just, yeah, it's no, like I've off, I've long contended that if if you are one of these people who are like Empire Strikes Back is one of the best movies ever made, and Return of the Jedi is an all right movie, it's like okay, <laughs> so what you're just saying is that you like you like the sad half of the movie and not the happy half. <laughs> you like you like the tension and the buildup, but not the climax. It's it's it's. I feel those movies so intimately con- entwined. They are still separate movies, but they are far more of the a same part one, part two than the vast majority. Like, of yeah, people. Cal- 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 no, no they, but they, it's all. But it's also that the what people identify as disliking about the other one is the thing that makes it a capstone. Which is like, okay, this is a adventure fantasy narrative we're going back to the beginning we're closing the loop on the locations the the hero returns back to where he's from but with newfound powers new perspective he's now able to have a new um approach to the big bad villain but now he has new knowledge he understands he's his father so it's a completely different approach it's not that he's going to beat him bell it's part of the thing is that the movie does not give um what we would think of as a satisfying conclusion or resolution of conflict in the way that people write movies now which might lead into 
why it doesn't mesh very nicely with mm-hmm. the sequels that Disney made that came after. It's like it is literally a movie in which the hero's triumph is born out of surrender. Yeah. Like the good guys win because he's like, just kill me. Like I refuse to do evil. And then like, that's why he wins. Yeah. yeah. And it's the thing. It's the kind of thing that you get in. Ursula Le Guin books. It's the kind of thing you get in Ray Bradbury books, but it's not no, the kind you, of thing you fact, get in typical. Yeah, I mean, we can get it onto it, but why the difference between the climax of Rise of Skywalker and Return of the Jedi are so different, right? But, but getting back to like the contrast between people who claim to be fans of Empire, like obviously as a defender of Empire Strikes Back, I think there are certain elements of the cinematography and the direction of Kirshner that are slightly different than Mark Han and Lucas's approach, but. I just don't understand how you can't also appreciate what Lucas and Mark Hanna are doing in Return of the Jedi, which is actually much more in line with the whole rest of Star Wars in many ways. Absolutely. But like just on that point, yes, I think the key difference is that there's a tonal difference. And I think the vast majority of so-called sophisticates enjoy the tone of Empire more because it's about it's about the tension between Han and Leia in a romantic sense. It's about the questioning heroism of Luke. It's about this idea of like taking the wrong path, which is obviously personified in the story by Yoda and his his tests that he does on Dagobah. But the actual narrative itself is like the characters continually making the wrong decision and paying yeah. the cost. And thus that raises the moral stakes to the whole scenario in a way that so-called complicates in a way that people assumed what the story was about right. but based then off Return the previous. Of the Jedi pays off the lessons learned. <laughs> yeah, it actually it actually uses that character development. Right. What good is all that that the stuff that was done and learned in Empire if it's not going to be paid off? Yeah. And the other thing here I would say is that Return of the Jedi, Anton, I like we we should get some of your points here beyond your prequel comment, which is very provocative. But the thing that I think some people lean again towards Empire versus Return, it's not like a value judgment necessarily, but it's a personal thing. And Empire centers Han and Leia much more prominently than Return of the Jedi does. And it's very rare that somebody will be like, my favorite Star Wars character is Luke Skywalker. But that's my that's my comment always. My favorite Star Wars character is Luke Skywalker. I don't want to be Han. I don't want to be Leia. I don't want to be C-3PO. I don't want to be Vader. You don't I want, want to be, be Luke. C-3PO. Return of the Jedi is the movie where Luke finally it's the Luke gets movie. to be like um the badass hero he's he becomes the jedi knight but he becomes the badass hero in a way that actually upsets our Mm -hmm. assumptions of what a hero means which is what's so meaningful i mean yeah it's not badass in our use of the term no but in the opening in in, in jabba's palace he is kicking ass oh yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. and i want to let and we should comment on like even like his you know it's maybe it's been said before his approach in, in the dark cloak very much reflective of uh you know anakin uh and the yeah and watching it now things after like all that. the prequels it's really striking that he wears black because the, the jedi didn't wear black you know no, so it, it's, wears it, it anakin wears it but not the it really others. lines yeah. in with anakin. yeah no yeah yeah but you know and i will say like as much again not to get defensive of empire strikes back but um, that, but what you reveal to me is the very things that often keep people from appreciating Return of the Jedi, even if they esteem Empire Strikes Back, I think are things that they misread about Empire. Like it's a setup, Lu- yeah. But the Luke and Yoda stuff is central to that film. Yes. If you don't like falling asleep on Dagobah as a kid, <laughs> then I'm sorry, you don't get it. Empire Strikes Back. Put me to sleep. It's a hangout movie. It's a vibe movie. There's a reason it's a Howard Hawks movie. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also a you know that Yoda stuff and the and a Jedi goes back to Dagobah again right you have the Yoda imparting his final uh so is Jedi you know, John Ford then well the original is also John Ford too but I actually might go so far as to say that Return of the Jedi is where we finally get more of Lucas pushing through I think so which is funny because he did, again he didn't direct it but no uh, Anton like what is what is your take on Return and beyond your kind of initial setup here so I think that partly the reason I wanted to uh, provoke people with the comment that Return of the Jedi is a prequel is because Return of the Jedi illustrates how each Star Wars, each new Star Wars movie rewrites the series to some degree. I love A New Hope. It's my favorite. I would be happy. I wouldn't be as happy, but I'd still be happy if I had a world where there was just A New Hope. And I also really love Empire Strikes Back. And it... Lucas doesn't rewrite the earlier movies in the sense that they're totally a different thing. But what it is, is um, his process of writing 
draws out certain threads that were present in the earlier films and makes us reconsider what was going on there. And some of that actually, um, if people get into, you know, the production history would make arguments that, you know, it draws out stuff that Lucas didn't even perhaps know was, th- know what was there in a new hope or empire even at times. Um, but it's also because Lucas operates, um, right. He's Wagnerian. He uses le- narrative leitmotif. So he's someone who takes a pattern and then he repeats patterns and he constantly ha- does variations on those patterns. And that's how his films work. And that's how the prequels work as well. And a lot of people will see this often as just being kind of like shrinking world syndrome where we get repetit, we get like, you know, why did 3PO have to be with Anakin? Um, you know, why, why does Anakin make 3PO? Why do we have to have a world that small? Um, and I, I can be somewhat open to that criticism, but I think it misunderstands the way Lucas's art works. He's interested in, in replaying these certain things. And for me, Return of the Jedi, when we, the great thing about Return of the Jedi is that when we watch Return of the Jedi, we finally understand that Star Wars is primarily a family saga. In A New Hope, it's not. If we just watch A New Hope, it's not a family saga. It's, it's about a hero entering into a larger world. Empire Strikes Back brings the family saga to the forefront, but only at the end with the famous I Am Your Father. And we start to get a sense that there's been a story going on in these previous two films that we weren't entirely aware of. And we get that in the scene with the, the Emperor talking about Anakin Skywalker. Things like that are teased out. All of a sudden, we're starting to reconsider what was Obi-Wan talking about to Luke on Tatooine in A New Hope. And then Lucas even builds this into how he does his trailers. If we go back to the trailer for episode three, and we get Anakin, uh, sorry, we get Obi-Wan talking to Luke, setting up episode three, and we started to reconsider how all of that works. And then Lucas literally does some revisions and rewriting. And as people will hate it or love it or aren't particularly phased, but Lucas's process of revising and rewriting his works through the special editions, um, the prequels, and then going back and doing even final touches shows that his conception of what these films were does slightly change over time, but he is building with each new film in his saga that expanded to six, he was building and making sure that they fit together better. And so when I watched, um, I watched episode three, like a month ago, and then I watched episode six, you know, the other night and seeing the Did striking you watch the special edition uh, I, of, uh, Return. of Return of the Jedi. I watched uh, the Blu-ray. The Blu-ray version. Okay. The Blu-ray yeah, version. So we get Anakin. Yeah. Which is also slightly different. Anakin's ghost coming. Yeah. We get Anakin's ghost coming back. And my one boy made me, after the movie ended, he wanted to go back. And he's like, you have to go back and I got to see Anakin's ghost again. And we, we went back, paused on that. And then he just like wanted to look at the screen a little bit and he was sort of happy. And then we like let the movie play out again. And I was trying to think what's going on here. And it's, oh, so for my boys who've grown up with the prequels, having seen Anakin be redeemed in his ghost there, like means so much. To have Hayden Christensen. To have Hayden yeah. Christensen actually be there means so much to them when they've He's like, good again it. in the final time you see him. Yeah. yeah. And and so what I, what I just really love about Jedi now is seeing how it, um, it brings all of that together. And I, I love aspects of all the other movies. And But if we didn't have Jedi, it's the one that holds them all together. And we start to see that, oh, this was the story not only then of about Luke Skywalker. Once we get all six, this was the story also about Anakin. And Anakin gets his happy ending when we get, you know, the original trio, Obi-Wan, Anakin, Yoda. We get their ghosts looking on at the, you know, the original trilogy trio. And yeah, everyone's I love, happy. I love and, how Luke, you know, Luke just, looks back great. at them, as, you know, as he oh, steps yeah. from the... Yeah, but also like... Oh man, there are few feelings as good as the pose for the photo in the final. Like it is, it is like bliss in a movie. You're just like, oh, everything is so right. I just want to hang out in the Ewok Village and just have a good time with Wedge and uh, Nine yeah. Them and stuff. And like, well, I also love that Lucas. Um, it's even there in A New Hope, but like, I love how the characters celebrate. Like when when the heroes have yes. Like, defeated the bad guys like people are just like they're going crazy when they've blown up the the death star right princess leia runs up and luke rio's like carrie yeah yeah no exactly (laughs) there's that but like even it's even there with the you know everyone loves the The first transport is away the first transport
And you even, but you even get that in Phantom Menace, right? Uh, yeah. The, the celebration at the end, yeah, in Naboo. <laughs> You have the celebration, just the way the, in the pilots. Cel- like, we are skeptical of celebration in our society. The cynical, you know, uh, it, it's like you don't get that in a lot of the new movies, like new even like like the Marvels and things like that. Maybe this is partly, maybe, you know, this come you know, recorded this weekend at Fast 10 came out. But like maybe that's one reason that people also like kind of jives with like the Fast and Furious films is there's a, people are allowed to love their family and celebrate when someone does something cool. Yeah, but like there, where we are a cynical, like why can't there be joy in like joy and also like in, the a- in the action, yeah. right? Like it, we don't, we have a lot of movies that are action heavy, but like in your average Marvel movie, like you know, in the original Spider Man movies, we get some moments of joy with like you know Tobey Maguire and it's stuff. But like I just cinema feel like keeps shifting toward like cinema is supposed to be in some sense, and this is the way that they think about it when they're making it, the movies. It's like a somewhat of an antidote for the atomization of like people's emotional senses. It's like, okay, people are super isolated, so they're going to identify with these movie characters more than they used to. And yet the movies aren't actually giving, like, fidelity and, like, celebration and community that people yearn for. Even in that, like, a movie's never really, never going to give you the real thing, but it's not even giving you, like, a version of that anymore. And they also don't in, go dark either. They don't actually really offer you anything challenging in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's not, well, it's no not finality. But it's not the horror of, like, you know, if you, that, I mean, the other thing is just like when you're watching uh, Return of the Jedi, like the Emperor's extremely evil. Yeah. He's such a good villain, but he's also like, you know, he's drawing on, um, he's trying to activate all of Luke's worst emotions. And the movie's he's successful really, mostly. <laughs> it's really good at doing that. It's not glib and like cheap about it. Yeah. it it's in tapping into the is fact actually that so your good. fear, you know, um, and it's really interesting that in the end, right? So if we go back, like Anakin becomes vader because he's afraid to lose those around him and the emperor goads him and the emperor goads him on and it's really interesting that the em- that vader then turns to the good side um because he also doesn't want to lose someone yeah again but it's it's a different it's what is he going to do he'll sacrifice himself it's not a it's not a control move where i want all the power to control he's actually saying you know what like I'll 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 make the sacrifice. It's also not forcing power onto someone else, right? Because his whole thing is like he wants to force life for Padme, regardless of whether it's appropriate or not. In that moment, it's it's like even if it was her like time to die, you know, quote unquote, he'd be like, "No, I'm forcing it. You're gonna live," and that undoes everything. And this is the sense, yeah, where he internalizes it's like I can only like give myself in this moment. And and it's also um in episode three when I watched it again, right? Like um. It's all illusory. He's he's afraid of something that actually isn't even happening. Yeah, no. And he's but building he it up it. his head, right? Like you're building up these fears in your head, and he's losing it. Whereas then here, he's motivated by actually seeing his son being like electrocuted, and it's a very like when I was watching it again with my boys, you're like, it is vicious, and like seeing your hero literally like the the electric electricity on his teeth, like again, like Vader doesn't go and like pick up luke's lifesaver you know it's not it's not an attack he literally just picks up the emperor and yeah. takes the attack himself and i know people don't like the lucas edition of the no. no they don't like no in episode three and they don't like him adding no but he says no like so why does he say no in episode three because he's found out that padme has died or that's right and, and it's kind told of like now you and did not it. again he was told right? you did it the Emperor tells him, Palpatine says, yeah. you killed. It seems in your anger, you killed her. And then here he's saying, I'm not going to like. Do this again. Do this again. I'm not going to like see someone I love die. But also like, come on, people like, do you, are you so cinema illiterate that you don't know that the no is the no from Frankenstein? Come on. Yeah. Also, like people are just. Absolutely. No, but I was just going to say that like one of those. So people have also these comments of being like. Mark Hand is the least technically accomplished of the directors who worked on Star Wars, right? It's fair. He's he's only known for this. He made some other movies. He's a Welsh director. He's very minor kind of film figure in the grand Have scheme of things. Have you seen any of his other movies? I haven't. I actually haven't. I don't know where to find them. <laughs> I would love to because I love this movie so much. And he and died he younger, clearly, right? So yeah, he did. He did, he did yeah. die young. Um, so he his career is abbreviated. We only have so many movies from him. And most of them are, again, he's not the artist. He's just kind of a work, like a journeyman. Yeah. 
But people make these comments about like, oh, you know, like Return of the Jedi is a little bit less sophisticated in terms of cinematic vocabulary, blah, 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 blah. Even keep stepping aside the the climactic triple battle around Endor, which I said in my review in 2019 when we did the retrospective, I say it again now, there's there's no climax in all of cinema that is as complicated as that one, and yet somehow insanely effortless. It is so, so easy clear. to follow. Yeah. And like we can have all the CGI in the world, all the CGI in the world. There is no space battle as complicated as that battle. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the way he aligns, the way that every dark, like every dark moment is either paralleled or yeah. pushes off in a different direction, like or dispelled. I, yeah. I was starting to map out. Like I was trying, starting to map out like what's actually going like. So in this scene, this happens and then we get the transition to this exact shot. And this is what, and it's, it's so well done. I have my like, notebook breaking points. it all down. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> no, but the thing I was going to say, like we can get into that moment in a bit. I know that's okay. more of like, yeah, I, won't, I want to talk about because there's a, there's but a spectator the, aspect <clears throat> I want to talk about. The issue the not the issue, the thing I was going to point out is that I don't think there is a better moment in basically all of cinema. Um, demonstrating the Kuleshov effect, then Luke is getting electrocuted. Cut to vacant Vader face, back to Luke, electrocuted, back to the exact same Vader face, and you're like, my God, he's dying inside. And you're like... But it's completely made up in the (laughs) editing. You're right, you're right. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. No, but But Lucas has always admired the Soviet filmmakers. No, but exactly. But this is what I'm saying, is that the movie... Turn off the sound. The movie yeah, works. Exactly. Lucas is like working The visual on... storytelling is so strong. Yeah. The way that Luke's face is, you know, um, right when he's being tempted, one side of it is the blue and the other side yeah. the light. But but even in the shot of Vader, there's a, a key moment. Part of that shot is not just the reaction. It's that his ma- his helmet reflects through the lightning so that you have these flashes of light and dark on his face that is creating this reaction that you're watching so you're essentially seeing a battle of good and evil go on the helmet of darth vader that is like which is going to win which is going to win which is going to win and then the look and you're like oh man okay we know what he's doing and i i find that scene just like it's just overwhelming and it's overwhelming like twofold it's it's one of those things where darth vader if you know i never I was not that I'm not old enough to have experienced the initial releases of the movie. So I always knew Vader had more to the story than just the like the man in armor. Yeah. The kind of like shadow villain of the first movie. But it's just Vader gets so much deeper and people have this idea of Vader becoming somehow less interesting, less complex, less um, of a like meaningful character. The more he becomes Anakin and it's just such the opposite. I just don't understand where it's. These are the he, same people who will complain about the idea of characters working as symbols purely, but it's like Vader's he just, was just the man in black before, and it's only with Empire and Jedi yeah. that he becomes exactly. Something more. But also, like in Return of the Jedi, it, it clarifies so much that Vader was never the big bad guy. He never was in the first movie. It's Tarkin is the one pulling the strings. In the second movie, Vader's the central figure, but it becomes very personal and very intimate. It's his and then, search, and then in Return of the Jedi, it's it's clear it's the Emperor. Like Vader is not the driver of action, but Vader is a party to the evil. But Vader's also like that the scene when his helmet comes off, it just it's like this weak man. It just clarifies what evil is in such a, a way that I think some people don't want to comprehend. They don't want to contend with this idea that evil is this w- weak, scarred man who just yeah. has nothing. He's lost his humanity, and now there's a sliver of a chance to refine it. I think it's worth maybe taking this moment, though, to jump off and to talk a little bit about the Emperor. Because the Emperor is teased, and, and you know, I know we don't want to go too long on these things, but through the films he has built up, like the opening scene of Return of the Jedi, the arrival of Vader's shuttle at the second Death the Star. The Emperor's coming here. And the Emperor's <laughs> coming here, yeah. Like the Monster Jedi's around. And, and, it's like, and I always, yeah, I always think of that progress. line. It's like, <laughs> it's like, Emperor is not as forgiving as I am. And I'm just like, I always use that line with my, actually my boys. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, he's way more angry than he, me. You, you, you're scared of Darth Vader? Wait, this other guy is like another level. The Emperor's coming here? That is correct, Commander. And he is most displeased with your apparent lack of progress. We shall double our efforts. I hope so, Commander, for your sake. 
The Emperor is not as forgiving as I am. Ian McDermott is such a great like theatrical actor to like perform that role. He's, he was like he's got so many then. good. I know he's got so many of the great lines, like little like his little like. Oh, I'm afraid the deflector shield will be quite operational when your friends arrive. His delivery of every line is enjoyable. It's just perfect. Yeah, he's Shakespearean. He's so truly he Shakespearean. He's like Richard the Third. It's amazing. So, like, the Return of the Jedi finally gives us that, the big bad. Yeah. So, the other thing I noticed, um, so speaking of the Emperor, so one of the things I wanted to dig into a bit was, again, this idea of how um, Lucas plays and varies on things in the other films. And again, like, so Phantom Menace was made after. But watching it now, what's really interesting is that, so the original, sorry, the prequel trilogy is, it's on one level, it's the story of... um, the emperor's deception of the galaxy and using, you know, he deceives everyone. He creates a fake war, um, manipulates everything. What happens in return of the Jedi? He's manipulating everything. We discover halfway through the movie and it starts to be like, okay, wait a second. Is he spinning his, like, is this, is, is everyone just going to get caught in his spider's web? Right. I mean, he even has the, uh, looks like a spider web behind his chair, right? The way that the broken, that sort of glass looks. Um, but then this is actually the movie where his, his like deceptions fail. Like he starts to, he assumes that certain things will happen and they're actually, this is the first time that he's not like in control of the plan. It's actually not like it's it going, it's going the emperor's way for a while, but then it starts to not. And it, his overconfidence, right? He's he's so used to. It. I mean, he he became the emperor by manipulating the whole galaxy, but you know things start to happen, and and I think that's partly you know he thinks this is going to be a repetition of Anakin Dooku, right? Like Luke, you're going to kill Vader, and you're going to become yep. a new. I get become, a nice young fresh apprentice you know, because he can't imagine that Luke won't act against him, right? yeah but that see that's the key thing and that it's a key thing that they they bring out more in the prequels and they bring out actually more in not the necessarily prequels but the like stories surrounding them like clone wars things like that where they keep hitting on this idea that the sith cannot conceive of relationships that are not adversarial mm, right yeah and so the emperor is like born of this idea that you cannot actually win by like surrendering which is the whole thing of Return of the Jedi. So they're like, essentially like the Sith are like everything is reduced to power. Yes. And the whole even idea that's is that why even sing- the mentor protege relationship. Yes, every is- single Sith knows that the apprentice is going to kill the master at some point yeah. and take over. Unless like, the master that is, kills him exactly. and gets a new apprentice. It yeah. is absolutely built into everything. And that's why Sidious is always replacing his apprentice yeah. because they're always trying like there's always back channels of them yeah. trying to take him even remember you know it's the classic line in uh, revenge of the fifth where it's like you know join me we'll rule the galaxy together yeah like even anakin the second he becomes like darth vader he's still thinking it's like i can just take out the emperor and then like yeah. we, we can do what we want <laughs> yeah he says that in pressure back right? because once you think once you open no but i'm saying like in chronological sense that's like yeah, the yeah. earliest already the moment that you accept this idea that everything is conquest through power you've eliminated the option the idea that there's like an external option and that's the thing I love so much about Return of the Jedi. It's the thing I love so much about, you know, something that wicked this way comes. It's the thing I love so much about Wizard of Earthsea, the first one. It's just this idea of like, how do I defeat this all-encompassing darkness? It's like, okay, like you can take me. It's like you can win. And it's 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 I think it's the thing that actually bothers people because it's the it is the most like paradoxically spiritual moment in the Star Wars series. It's the mm-hmm. one where it starts to transcend out of like the rules of this world and starts to go into like an actual like deep moral level where mm-hmm. you're like, oh, Luke, Luke is becoming like Christ like here in a sense that is not not just like a, you know, oh, he dies and comes back like Neo kind of thing. It's more of like, no, he's he wins by losing. Yeah. He rewrites the the moral rules of the universe. Yeah. He breaks the rules of what you assume is based off it because of how extremely the villains are espousing those rules i think and that's it, for me why the like the the sequel films as much as i enjoy aspects of them will and what i was hinting at earlier will never be satisfying it's like i think i wrote in my review for force awakens that 
as much as I enjoy that movie, like the very idea that you have to undo Return of the Jedi to keep the story going was, to keep the story going is an automatic fail for me in, in a sense that like yeah. it will just never fully satisfy. Right. It's, it's it, like, yeah, you've it'll be like, oh, you, you, you had to undo like the perfect ending. And that's just so sad. And like, I can't handle that. You know, and then also the I think the way that the films, particularly Rise of Skywalker, misunderstand uh, what Lucas was going for in Return of the Jedi and the prequels in terms of the cent- the role that Anakin plays. Yeah, for one. Well, the, thing. Cent- the centrality. You know, I, I mean, our, our, we have a running gag now in our house when anything like you know bad happens. It's like, you know, we're like somehow Palpatine returned. You know, it's like, you know, you just pull that out of your hat anytime there's something bad. Oh, but somehow Palpatine has returned. But like, but also like that final, I think it's very telling that in the final moment, you know, Ray defeats uh, her, her grandfather through a, 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 the, you know, combined force and power of the Jedi versus what Luke does, which is self-sacrificial, throw down your lightsaber, I won't fight you. And it's like those. Th- it's just very telling. I'll, I'll I'll hold off on my uh, my sequel bashing for now. Um, oh, I still uh, like what those I, movies. <laughs> no, I I, li- I like them. They uh, they're very enjoyable. They needle they me just, in certain ways, and they, they just I find them don't enjoyable quite work on a total conceptual level. But yeah, but I guess going back to my point is really quickly is that that was anyone who appreciates Return of the Jedi in the ways that we are talking about it right now will inevitably be disappointed and it wasn't last jedi and it wasn't rise of skywalker that did it It was as soon as you decided to make a sequel that had to undo what happened in return of the jedi you were doomed it ruins the happy ending so one thing i just wanted to pick up on that you guys were talking about was um this idea that luke both fulfills and revises um i guess like the cosmos like in the sense of right like through um his sacrifice in getting Vader to sacrifice himself. And then eventually it, that is, I think, mm-hmm. restores. It redeems him. Um, it redeems him and it also restores balance to the force, right? Yeah. If we understand this, that's the fulfillment of the prophecy. Um, but it, it, what I find interesting is that, so we're talking about um, Luke has to do something that we don't expect the hero to do. And if you go back to Empire Strikes Back and Yoda's telling him, right, you can't go off and rescue your friends now. Um, sometimes you'll have to make You'll have to sacrifice people for a greater good. What I find interesting is that Luke in Return of the Jedi kind of both fulfills but also um, alters the previous Jedi code of detachment. He makes it about himself. Exactly. You can sacrifice, but yourself, not yeah. your friends. Not your friends, yes. And it's, it, it makes it sacrifice, not detachment, right? So it's yeah. not the, the problem. He does it because he loves them, not because he has no love for them. So in some sense, the Jedi code, like knightly codes where you get into uh, courtly love and stuff, the knightly codes create um, for the hero, for the chivalric hero, they create like sort of um, impossible choices, right? Like where you're, you're, you're bound into competing uh, codes and you're trying to figure out how to navigate it. The, the, it seems to me that um, in a small portion, some of Anakin's problems in the prequels are through um the jedi code and it it, it says that you can't have these, these attachments so we're going to rip you from your mother and then we're going to say that you can't form attachments you know and you get these these things are oh you just have to let go you just have to let go you just have to let go and what i think luke says is it the letting go is not that you're not gonna fight for people you love and but the letting but you're but he's letting go of himself right and so that, I, it's just interesting um, how Return of the Jedi picks up on and then in sort of clarifies its ultimate message of sort of self-sacrifice, which going back to A New Hope was Lucas's one of his major themes, right? They want to tell a story about the importance of sacrifice for a greater good. But the way he does it in Return of the Jedi makes it very personal and you, you sacrifice yourself for those you love. A couple other things, I don't know uh, about you guys, a couple other things I just wanted to hit on. One was um, some aspects of the opening and another was about some of the meta moments in the movies. Is there anything else you guys? Would- I would just say that it's interesting that we've been talking about um, Return of the Jedi as the sort of the core of Star Wars in a lot of ways. And interestingly, the way that Lucas decided to tell his stories or whether accidentally or not, whatever, it's a, it's a, it's a happy accident. Um, one, four, five, six, one, two, three. Six sits right at the crossroads. 
it's a chiasmatic structure. Yes. It puts uh, yeah. Return of the Jedi and the finale at the very center of it all. So, like, it is ironic. In it, you know, you would say, you know, whether intentional or not, it, it works out very well poetically. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? As much as the stories work one through six, I'm not sure that that's the 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 uh, the, the entire order, right? Like, yeah. It always reminds me of people reading uh, Narnia and, like, you know, the re- it always bothered me, the renumbering of them chronologically. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, likewise, Magician's Nephew does not work unless you already have the prior knowledge. Like, it actually, it, like, it actually is so much stronger as a story when you're like, oh, my goodness, that's that. Oh, and Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe right? only works, works by being the first one. Right. Because and it spends so much it, time yeah, on the third or fourth. It's like, eh. Like yeah, this- but it, it's funny because though it's also one of those ones where absolutely as like an introduction. But then on subsequent, I it makes no sense for me not to start with Magician's Nephew on like sure, a sure. But on the first, oh, yeah, it's just like yeah. Star Wars though. But like, so I guess what I'm saying is that it actually works. I actually think you should. It's watch my favorite Star Wars. one. Four, five, six, one, two, three. Well, that's the way I showed it to no. my boys. And Magician's Nephew, we, they favorite. watched. Not they watched either. A New Hope first, and then we yeah, we went to Jedi, and then we went back, and then that interestingly makes three. Three is like the piece that fits in it's like it fills the gap and sort of seems the key it like in some way it like locks it together but, but that's why three and six have a, a interesting structure they themselves also um act as kind of mirror films and then so it loops it back and it creates that full like and we get that with the amazing structure. like the way uh the the set design right for the lightsaber battles in three mirrors aspects of the but it's again it's the beginning the beginning battle is the last and three is the last battle in six because it's like a yes. flip. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the opening of the movie, one thing I wanted to say for the opening of the movie, okay. A new hope always gets the credit for having um, this interesting opening lifted from a hidden fortress, but right. We get these droids and we follow them along. And sometimes we don't get a lot of dialogue. We're just sort of following the characters along and they're linking up the different people. I, I watching it this time for some reason I re- it really struck me how Return of the Jedi does again a variation on that opening. So once again we get after we you know after the the Death Star sort of tease at the beginning, right? We get once again um, we get the droids on Tatooine, and then they're gonna lead us. And along the way, the difference is that we're not meeting characters we don't know. It's like we're meeting the characters we know. So what we're looking for isn't like who's the people that the droids are going to gather together. It's like we're waiting for them to. Oh, okay. There's Lando. He's in yeah, place. There's Leia. Okay. There's Leia. That was Leia. Okay. Okay. Here's Chewbacca. Oh, and we're and then the last person to join in. We have we have Han Solo frozen on the wall. Last person to come in. You know the great shot. Uh, the doors open. Who's walking in in this robe? Oh, it's Luke. And then also makes it so that Luke's entrance, which is the Luke's entry into the story, um, is the culminating of the droid narrative in A New Hope, right? Like the first part of A New Hope is all about leading us up to Luke Skywalker yep. in Return of the Jedi. Once again, it's the whole intro is leading us up to Luke Skywalker, now Jedi Knight. Yeah. So I thought that was really great. And the other thing I noticed then was also a lot of this is, again, it's uh, it's Lucas doing and Mark Han doing uh, visual storytelling. How much of Jabba's palace? Uh, like we get Jabba's subtitles sometimes, but if you go for the whole sequence where the droids come in and talking to um, Dawana Wanga and like all that. Uh, Fortuna. Bib Fortuna. And like, you know, none of that has. No, it's insane. Actually, I was. Watching, and we know like, what's going on. Watching it right last, last night before recording this. And it's. Tuta, Mishka, it is. <laughs> it I know. Is, I know. I know the Hatties dialogue. <laughs> It is crazy how much of it I was like, again, every time it, it hits me, but I'm just like, there's no subtitles. You don't need them. You know what they're having their like sleazy conversations on the back. You know, you know all the intentions of everything. It's just, it's so abundantly clear, but also just like beyond the visual storytelling, the sheer like wild, like horror house like like the yeah. idea of like house of horrors you know like that yeah. like the concept of Jabba's it's a bit, it's a bit of a whorehouse too but yeah yeah no it is <laughs> it is but the Jabba's palace is just a complete wild fanta- fantasia yes of, like aliens yes. and species and like weird things happening and it's it's a case where people would be like well you know it's it's repetition of the cantina well in a sense but it's also an expansion because it's allowing a scale and a budget that was not allowed in the first movie. So 
Jabba himself is like a monstrosity. He's such a massive creation. It's it's incredible. Jabba is a registers as a character. Yeah, because yeah, like that puppetry is, right? is amazing. I always remember that there was the um, uh, television documentary, whatever, from Star Wars to Jedi, the making, uh, right? And very it's much like, about the Jim. Henson they spend a lot of it returning to Jedi, time. but they talk a lot about yeah, Jim Henson. They talk about like how many men were inside Jabba. Is that like four? Yeah. I think it's three or four, yeah. And then some, oh yeah. And then there's someone working a, like a remote Rem- control. His eye highballs, yeah, yeah. Which I think is like it's 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 telling that they they went back to that kind of thing for like uh, Grogu and uh, Mandalorian. What I also like, I like this idea about it being sort of this Fantasia, just this collection of all, um, all the creatures. It's really wild. We even get like a bunch of bizarre droids. And again, the just like in A New Hope, where the droids find their way in, they're stolen. Um, they become someone else's property and then they find their way into a weird droid setup. We even get the droid torture chamber, a weird version of like, you know, like the, yeah, the, the droid um, menagerie, right? Yeah. Um, but what I also find interesting is that, so people will often, again, criticize the, the special edition where, oh, you're going to insert this new dance number and stuff. And what you're forgetting, and again, this sort of goes back to what Jedi has always been. This was the first time where uh, Empire Strikes Back was a much bigger budget, but Lucas was independently like financing this based off of like, like different investments he had acquired in it. So it wasn't just like the studio giving him a lump sum. So he was very concerned about being on budget and, and, and making sure that the movie got made because he had a lot riding on this basically took everything he made from the first one and put it into this return of the Jedi. I mean, I think Lucas has always been fairly shrewd with money, but return of the Jedi is the most like, Finally, you get a sense of there's like um, you can feel the energy because they're not wor- as worried about the budgetary constraints. It's extravagant. And it's extravagant. And they're on top of the special effects in a way that they weren't in the first two. Like they're, you, they're not struggling to like, are we going to do this? Are we going to be able to make this? Instead, now it's like, OK, we, we can do what we want to do. Let's let's play around. And that's why I think it's it's actually quite fitting then that Lucas does that once again with the special edition. And then it's like, well, now I can do a few things that I couldn't even do in the first version. So now I want a bigger dance number. And then you have some of those extravagant, ridiculous moments of CGI where it's like the guy singing and his mouth is open. And again, it's just playing around with the, like the creative possibilities he had at that point. And I know people will be annoyed, but you're like, that's half of what Jabba's Palace's puppets yeah, was, was testing too. things out. It's people playing around and being like, is this amazing? We can make this like weird guy with the, it looks like this. And like, we're going to, he yells so, them. <laughs> yeah. I can tell you all the names of all the creatures. One other thing that struck me watching uh, Return of the Jedi this time, a uh, couple meta moments, moments where the, the movie calls attention to itself as a story. And I think uh, 3PO's telling to the Ewoks is often remembered. And, you know, to give credit to uh, The Last Jedi, it picks up on that idea of Star Wars turning into a myth or a legend within its own world. Uh, at the end of The Last Jedi, right? Um, but one moment that sort of struck me that's less less um, obvious is in that final uh, triple battle, as Aaron says. And what I really noticed was that for a good portion of this these battles, Luke Skywalker is a spectator watching it. And it's weird. So they're, they're like you know, they're, they're wa- he sees the little ships, and we, the audience, can see the he little ships. He literally sees them. Out yeah, the we window. can we can literally see them out the window. They're there, but there's executor. There's the others. Yeah. <laughs> it also aligns the audience with Luke because we then, so we keep cutting back to Luke who's waiting and getting really tense and he wants to act because he knows what's going on. But we've literally like experienced that because then we've, you know, through cross cutting have gone off and seen what's going on on Endor, what's going on. And there's, so it just, it was interesting because it's those, we get these three different sequences, but in some sense, the audience is aligned with the Luke story and the other things were spectators too. And I think it was just reinforced by the fact that Luke is literally watching the space battle for a good portion of that. And his emotions are like building up through that. And that's partly what the emperor is like, you know, trying to uh, goad him on by, you know, like the emperor, the fact that Luke is getting worked up is because we've experienced that all ourselves. Your fleet is lost and your friends on the indoor moon will not survive. There is no escape, my young apprentice. The Alliance will die. 
as will your friends. No, I think that's a that's a good point. At the that that's an interesting self-reflective moment where the film is like commenting on that. Um, and I think it just reinforces what both of you were saying about Luke, this making it Luke Skywalker's story and and Anakin's story, and brilliant that moment of the that Kuleshov shot that you're talking about, yes, Aaron Vader yes. looking back and forth, and has to make a choice. You cannot remain a spectator forever. It, it's hard for me to believe this movie is forty years old <laughs> because the other the, maybe this is one last thing to say. It's like when you know it it's, when I was a kid, and yes, I, I was you know born just before this movie came out. I became a Star Wars fan at a time when it wasn't necessarily, you know, popular in the early nineties. Um, and you know, yeah, it was more we, niche. A, Most yeah, people had more seen niche. Star Wars, but yeah, exactly. Still and they were like, those are movies we like, but we'd moved on. But then, you know, in the anticipation for Phantom Menace in 99, but like it was only 16 years only. It felt like forever from return of the Jedi to Phantom Menace. We are now, you know, it's 40 years. So that's, you know, Phantom Menace is 24 years old. Hey, and Return of the like, Jedi to Phantom Menace is the same as Phantom Menace to Force Awakens. So it's like this movie, we can look back on it and I think and maybe appreciate it uh, in a different way now. Mm-hmm. For at 40 years, I think we can say, uh, I think I think Tarantino and Avery had a con- Roger Avery had a conversation on Video Archives podcast about you know when a film can become a classic. And I think Jedi is now officially in the window that even they would agree that 40 years <laughs> out, we're like, it's a classic. I'm sure Tarantino would disagree with this specific movie. I'm sure Avery would be like, I love the Ewoks. He's oh, I'm amazing. sure. This is much more a Roger than a Quentin movie, but. <laughs> I don't want to get into the Ewoks thing right now. That's, uh, it's not no. worth litigating. It's more of just like. There's nothing to litigate. They're awesome. Do you, you hate cute teddy bear people? Why? <laughs> But also, Aaron, you pointed out how in your review back in 2019, the the scene of the one Ewok when he then like his his companion oh, dies so sad. is is uh, very effective. Yeah, that and the Rancor, um, the Rancor keeper crying keeper over crying. The, the moments of strange compassion, right? Like mm-hmm. most, big, like again, it's it's unusual. Yeah. It's unusual to insert that. Yeah, with whether such it's a prominence. teddy bear or a big monstrous creature. We can have compassion for these animals and this and and other 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 beings in this world, which fits in with the ultimate the lesson of Return of the Jedi, which is one of self sacrifice and compassion for others. No, exactly. That's it. Exactly. And it's also it makes it makes Star Wars in some sense like it's Star Wars is a comedy in the sense that right Dante's Divine Comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and as much as we can, you know love the Shakespearean tragedy that is episode three that we can yes. love the darker moodier aspects of Empire Strikes Back like Star Wars is about good triumphing over evil yeah mm-hmm. now go my son leave me no you're coming with me I'll not leave you here I've got to save you you already have you were right. You were right about me. Tell your sister. You were right. Thank you for listening to our celebration of Return of the Jedi's 40th anniversary. Catch you next time. Goodbye, Mr. Bond. I bid you farewell, Mr. Bond.